Hi guys, Russell here. Um, you know, uh, I've been surprised at how strong markets have been uh, over the last sort of six to seven months. Um, you know, uh, certainly the view I had of a sort of pro-labor uh, world implied that financial assets would probably be a lot more stagnant uh, uh, than they have been. Um, and, you know, in recent posts, I've been talking about uh, the BOJ as being, you know, the key central bank and liquidity provider to the world. Um, And I still think that's true. Um, But, you know, talking to people and having to think about various other things, uh, you know, I could see a a future uh, that would justify what we're seeing in the markets today, Uh, what we're seeing both in stock markets, bonds, and in crypto. Um, And it's not liquidity-based um, the problem with it is that, you know, you only know the truth once liquidity is pulled, but, you know, we can at least try and think about what, what the world we're looking at is in a sort of more, uh, bullish upbeat way. So, you know, what I'm trying to say is that, um, you know, free market capitalism, as we understand it today is actually a relatively new phenomenon. Um, a lot of people talk about the sort of golden age before World War One, when trade was, uh, you know, well, global trade was at sort of levels that we see today as a percentage of GDP. But you got to remember that was sort of the era of the British Empire and other empires. And then so, you, you know, when you have an empire, the trade between nations is not exactly free. So trade between like Britain and India, for example, wasn't exactly what I would call free market trading. Um, so that, I don't know, is does not really match up with the world that we have, live in today. And likewise, you know, post-World uh, War II, uh, during the Cold War, you know, large chunks of the world were run on socialist lines. And even in the West, uh, large parts of policy were sort of on socialist basis. So it's really only from 1990s onwards, with a collapse of socialism, can we truly say we've been living in a free market world and a world that is largely run along US political ideals. Okay. Um, and so, you know, one thing that should be obvious to anyone who's been paying attention is that U.S. corporates have an outsized influence in the setting of U.S. policy. Um, and you can almost sort of see it, like, if you ask anyone to na- uh, name a famous CEO, uh, the chances that will list, fam- list famous CEOs, 90% of them be Americans or American uh, CEOs for American corporations. Uh, you know, if you do a Google search, you know, of famous CEOs, you get a list, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, there's Akio Toyota in there, uh, but he's probably famous because he sells only cars in the US. But what I'm trying to say is globally, you know, if you ask someone to name a famous CEO, more than likely going to name a US, see a US American or a, a CEO of an American company. Um, now, you know, that sort of leads you or leads me to think about the U.S. as sort of almost like a corporatocracy as corporates are, you know, the driving uh, decision makers in policy there. Now, there's actually nothing particularly wrong with a corporatocracy if those corporates are, you know, working well. You know, uh, normally it's generally conceived as, perceived as bad, uh, I'd say, in the popular press. But, you know, a, profit, a, a political system that is driven by profit-seeking or profit-maximizing behavior does offer a lot of clarity. Um, and it also keeps that society normally in a dominant technical position. Um, 
And, you know, when you have the knowledge that uh, a successful business will also give you political power, it just makes this sort of profit-seeking motive uh, even stronger. Um, and, you know, I think recently with people sort of seeing artificial intelligence as the next big thing, you know, you can see that the drive to dominate that sector uh, to become, you know, both rich and politically powerful is driving enormous investment from existing and uh, new players. Um, and, you know, this world which we sort of live in was really, you know, ushered into existence by, by Reagan and the sort of Thatcher revolution. And a lot of it was really, you know, built on the disillusionment of socialist sort of policymaking. So, you know, if we accept that capitalism is the best form of government, or at least the least worst, uh, and then it follows political power should follow economic power. And what we see in the US is that politics and economic power has become more and more fused together, and so the expense of uh, getting into office has become more and more expensive. So this is showing cost of US congressional presidential elections, but in an inflation adjusted dollars. So the actual amounts would be rising even more rapidly. It's just that they've deflated them for uh, inflation. Um, so then if you follow this line of argument, except the US government is run for corporate interests that seek to, uh, that seek to profit maximize, you then would go, well, if, uh, if you're looking to profit maximize, then you should really be uh, you know, maximizing your balance sheet, US government balance sheet. And that is to say, borrow to the greatest extent possible, right? Uh, and, you know, so that is both to fund growth or investment and also to minimize taxes, particularly to the corporate sector. Uh, and this is, you know, entirely rational from a government run for profit maximizing interests. So that's what we see. U.S. public debt has exploded um, and will continue to explode until it becomes a, a, an impediment to profits more than anything else, which it hasn't done so, you know. When U.S. government debt stops the stock market from going higher, then you might see a change in policy. Um, the logic of capitalism and the logic of fusing uh, political and economic power together uh, means that consolidation becomes more and more likely as dominant firms become more profitable and seek to grow. And that's exactly what we see uh, in market concentration, the S&P, which has gone to extreme levels of 29% and stayed there now for like five years. Um, and the, so that is what you would expect to see is that uh, the you know, search for profit maximization and with corporates controlling political interests, you would expect market consolidation. So that's exactly what we see. Um, now, what you also expect to see is US government policy uh, would be looking to reduce competition to the private sector and to allow the private sector to enter into areas that were previously government dominated. And then this is a, actually a very rational policy. If we take the space industry, for example, which is historically being dominated by, dominated by governments, uh, by allowing U.S. corporates to enter in this uh, sector, what we've seen is SpaceX, uh, so Elon Musk SpaceX, uh, dominates that sector, particularly by mass put into orbit. And the Starlink system that this has uh, been able to actualize has now become a major strategic weapon and a vital part of the Ukrainian resistance to Russia. So again, showing that sort of the capitalist system uh, or corporatist system in this case actually leads to uh, te technological superiority. So it's a positive in that way. Um, now, if you fully accept these arguments so far, 
we can then go on to cryptocurrencies, which we could then look at as a uh, partial or beginning of the privatization of another government-controlled asset, which is currency. Uh, and this is not as far-fetched as it sounds. The U.S. had many private issues of currencies in the 1800s, uh, but the mass failure of them then led to sort of government consolidation and control of that, um, and you know generates a good income for the, U, uh, for the U.S. government. Um, you still see sort of leftovers of this private banking currency. I wrote my uh, sort of like my master's thesis on this. Uh, so one of the big leftovers, you can Bank of Scotland still issues uh, Scottish notes in the UK and Hong Kong. You have three different banks uh, issue uh, Hong Kong dollars on behalf of the government. Um, so if you look at these, the picture below, you can see Bank of China uh, and Standard Charter on the left and HSBC is on the right. HSBC is a dominant issuer of these notes. But that's uh, free income for them, if you think about it. They're basically lending money out at zero interest rate. So it's a great business for them. You know, so the thing is, uh, cryptocurrencies are a tech-based version of historically uh, private-issued currencies. Uh, and in this case, there's no government standing behind them and no uh, financial institution. It's purely a sort of technology, uh, a protocol. Um, and, you know, if you understand that, then you can see that, you know, there are some you know, what would be the interest in U.S. corporates of allowing cryptocurrencies to expand? Well, one of the things is that uh, the current financial system, the U.S.-dominated financial system, gives the U.S. government uh, inordinate power uh, to compel corporates and to even compel other governments to follow their regulations and or policies. Um, if you could get a cryptocurrency that was globally accepted for global-based uh, U.S. multinationals like Google, Facebook, uh, sorry, Meta, Amazon, you know, Netflix or whatever, if they could move outside of, you know, the current financial system, the ability of uh, governments, including the U.S. government, to compel them to pay tax or even to follow, you know, U.S. Sort of policy would be greatly reduced. Um, even if they didn't actually go all that way, just having the possibility of going that way would greatly strengthen their bargaining position and that benefits u.s corporates and if you're going to ask me for the most bullish uh uh reason uh for crypto i don't really believe in this sort of fiat currency stuff that people talk about yeah you know it's i think it's slightly disingenuous to be honest with you uh because you know there's almost no limit to the number of cryptocurrencies that could be launched but if you said to me actually U.S. corporates will see this to their benefit. And I'm like, well, that's going to happen because that's how the world works. Now, um, so what I'm trying to say is you could potentially say we're living in a world where we're, we're moving to a completely new world, a globalized virtual world where governments have been sidelined or marginalized to a very great degree and U.S. corporates run and control everything. And this is what the market is telling you. And the cryptocurrencies are going to be that roadmap to that next level and if you believe that then you should be long us tech aggressively and you should be long crypto uh, and you should be very uh, very bearish uh, treasuries because they're going to be there's two things that make that really bearish for treasuries one is they're going to continue to lose tax revenue and two is that the wealth creation effect of let's say skyrocketing uh, bitcoin which is what this would imply would mean you'd be having a huge increase in uh 
wealth and spending and inflation. Either way, yeah, the outlook for treasuries is dog shit still. Um, now, my gut feeling is that in the 70s, all through the 70s, we were seeing a shift away from socialist policies to capitalist policies. And that was marked by the unpopularity uh, of most of the governments in the 70s and a slow but significant shift towards a different type of policy making. I think in the, uh, the decade we're in now, we're seeing the sort of reverse of that. Uh, the voting public is really moving away from the uh, extreme capitalist policies that we've had in recent times. Uh, the central banks are lagging that, particularly the Bank of Japan, and that would imply that we're in a sort of era where selling assets makes more sense. Just as the 70s was a great time to be buying financial assets, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and selling real assets, it feels to me that we're more in the opposite period. Um, that is what my gut feeling says, but I've been wrong before and I could be wrong again. Uh, I think the real test, as I put out in my recent notes, will when be when the BOJ actually finally raises rates and starts to reduce liquidity into the system. Uh, experience has taught me that bull markets are built on dreams, and this is what I've given you as a dream, a tech dream, uh, but bear markets are based on hard realities. Um, and I think the true reality of the world we're living in, are we moving to this crypto corporatocracy uh, where corporates have almost unlimited, unfettered power, or are we just in a sort of usual grind up, grind down uh, technological advance and there's not a big fundamental change coming through? That will only be clear when the lender to the rest of the world, the, the, find the big lender to everyone, actually puts, starts to tap on the brakes and cuts a bit of liquidity. And that's where I think we are at the moment. Uh, JGB bond yields still imply the BOJ will raise rates at some point. Um, so I think we are coming to a very interesting point in markets. Hope that made sense. Stay safe. We'll talk again soon. Ciao.